0: As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, first we thank you this morning for the cross. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross in shedding his blood for our sins amen for dying in our place is our substitute for atoning for the sins of all who believe we thank you that christ took upon himself all of our sins both past present and also future sins we thank you lord that christ instituted the sacrament of communion for us to observe and to always remember to be reminded of the work that Christ did on our behalf Lord let us ever be so mindful of this work that Christ did in paying the penalty that we could not pay he paid the debt that he did not owe, and we owe the (coughs) debt that we could not pay so Christ put it upon himself and father for that we are grateful Lord we thank you also this morning for your word as we read earlier your word is at work in all who believe Lord that is so comforting and so reassuring and that is so encouraging Lord that as we hear your word preached as we read it as we listen to it Lord you supernaturally work in the hearts of all who believe your word You work your truths into us, your your promises, your warnings, your encouragements, your admonishments. You work your word into us, Lord, and I pray that you, Father, continue to work mightily in us through your word. And Lord, give us a thirst for your word. Give us a desire for your word. To not shy away from it, Lord, but to long for your word, to to cling to it, to remove needless and frivolous distractions from our life so that we can center our lives around your word. Lord, our lives are so busy. All of us, are we busy ourselves with, with activity. Some are fruitful and productive, but I would say some are less fruitful and less productive. Some of our activities are are, are frivolous or meaningless. And Lord, in all the midst of those activities that we busy our our lives with, Lord, the, the thing that we neglect most is the thing that we need the most, and that is your word, to hear from you. As a preacher once said, if you want to hear from God, read your Bible. If you want to hear from God audibly, read your Bible out loud. Well, the Bible is the Word of God. Give us a thirst, a continued thirst, and a continued hunger for your Word. David said in Psalm 119 that your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. David said also in that same Psalm, your Word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not sin against you, Lord. It is the, the word that keeps us from sin. As, as Charles Spurgeon famously said, either the Bible is going to keep us from sin, or sin is going to keep us from the Bible. And Lord, many times it is sin that keeps us from the Bible. The, the sin of lack of stewardship of our time that you've given us. The sin of neglect, of personal study. And Lord, these are not sins that necessarily condemn us to hell. But Lord, what we're doing is we're robbing ourselves of the treasures that are found in your word. So Lord, help us to treasure your word, to to love your word. To have an appreciation for what your word does. And Lord, let us not just hear it, but as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 that we read this morning, that we accept it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Well, help us to accept the word of God as we read it, as we hear it, and as it is preached. Because it works in all of us. Excuse me, Lord, I turn my prayers to Miss Deborah, who's not able to be here, she went to Michigan to be with her family. Her father has been ill. I pray that you be with her. She spends time with her family during during this spring break, and that you continue to be with her father and and her family while she's up there and bring her back safely later on this week. What we pray for desires in our congregation. Melissa expressed a desire to be able to be uh, available to be a Bible study on Wednesday nights. So Lord, I, I pray that you make that way for her. That is a good desire. Lord, you've answered those prayers before for for uh, Miss Phyllis and Daryl and Mary, and perhaps others, Lord, who had the desire to be with the saints. Lord, we know that you are faithful. You can answer that for Melissa and also uh, Mandy, who likes to be here on Sundays, but right now her, her job has her working on the Lord's Day. and She told me that she wants to be at church on Sunday. so Lord, I'm praying that you make a way to grant that desire for her. Work in the hearts of those who she works for, her managers, supervisors, that you work in their hearts, Lord, to make that available to her to be at church on Sundays, Lord, I pray that you grant that desire for them to be in the Lord's house on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Lord, we pray for anyone here, in, in here who may be sick or infirm that you be with them, that you heal him, heal them rather. Some of us have pains and aches and places that we don't <laughs> tell people about, but Lord, you know them all. So I pray for the afflicted this morning in our congregation. And Lord, we also just pray and just thank you for the encouragement that we all receive from uh, the Spirit of God and from each other. That we continue to encourage each other, continue to pray for one another, continue to love each other as the day of Christ's coming approaches. That you grow us all in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow us together as a church in the Spirit. Help us to to mature in our faith as, as a church family. And as individual believers. We pray for our children, uh, also uh, our school-age children, our young children, our babies. Lord, that you work mightily in their hearts, bringing them to a saving faith in you, but also, Lord, growing them in their faith and giving them those godly desires that they need to, to function in this world as a witness to the gospel, a witness to Christ. And, Lord, we pray again for our like-minded uh, sister churches and other like-minded churches, for all the brothers laboring this morning in the gospel. Bob, uh, continue to bless them, Lord. We thank you for the good report from uh, Marianne, by the way, with her cancer diagnosis. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in her. Continue to, to heal Marianne. We love her dearly here. And Bob, continue to be with them. And Bob, as he and Justin Shepherd. Uh, Anderson Bible Church, and Carlton at Grace Fellowship, and Phil at Redeemer, Anthony at Christian Fellowship, uh, Justin at Mountain View, Cody at Iron City, and other men who are leading good churches, good men, preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that you be with us all, Lord. Continue to strengthen us as men to lead our churches well, to be good and faithful shepherds of your people. And Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail against your bride, the church. May we continue to trust in you to grow your church as you see fit. And Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, looking at the security that we have, that we are kept by the Holy Spirit, those of us who struggle with the assurance of our faith, Lord, may you comfort us and encourage us in this precious doctrine as we look at it today in this passage and of those who are not in you just yet that you may bring them to a saving faith that they may know that they cannot keep themselves but we are truly kept by the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit Lord illuminate your truths to us this morning by your spirit encourage the faithful convict the sinners and bring them to a saving faith in Christ's name, I pray, amen. 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 Let us turn to Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. This is our I think, seventh sermon in this first chapter, the first 14 verses. So, this morning, we want to speak about security, being secured, being sealed, and what that means for us as the saints and the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some Christians that struggle with their assurance of salvation. There's some Christians, I'm talking about true Christians, who struggle with whether they are truly kept by God or not. I remember uh, the old churches that, that we were a part of, one of the common phrases, and sometimes some of us can slip up and say it here, Uh, one of the common phrases that people will say is I just want to be saved or I just want to stay saved now there's a human responsibility element to that but the thing we want to remember is God's sovereignty over our salvation that if God calls us God keeps us that's what we must remember he who calls keeps that's what we have to remember as believers so let's look at our passage here and of course we're going to start from the beginning get in context and this is a good thing to do when you're reading scripture of course is looking at the context of everything I'm going to start at verse 11 this time but we know that Paul is speaking to the saints, the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ that God, uh, Christ has blessed us with their spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in verse 3 That he chose us for the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption as sons to the praise of his glorious grace. He's accepted us in the beloved, meaning that we are accepted in Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that we are accepted in Christ, and that's the only acceptance that truly matters. Excuse me. We're also redeemed through the blood, we have forgiveness of sins according to his grace that he's lavished upon us. He's given us all wisdom and insight so that we can know his will for us, the mystery of his will. We learned last week that we have an inheritance and that he works all things according to the purpose and counsel of his will. We talked about how God is sovereign in our salvation. So now we get down to verses 13 and 14. He says, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of promise, as some translations say, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. You notice that phrase, you know, one good thing when you're reading scripture to do is to highlight re- repeated phrases and repeated words that you see in the passage. That's always good and helpful. You see to the praise of his glory here at the end of verse 14. Okay? But you also see it at the end of verse 12. So there's a reason for that. Beginning of verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. So when you see that repeated like that, it, it, it lets us know that there, there's a theme taking place that Paul wants us to know. So we see in this passage here this morning that same thing that we are secured, we are kept, we are sealed. To the praise of his glory. So our sealing that God does is for his glory. And ultimately for our good. So just as an introduction here. uh, God, even in this passage and just period. He wants us to appreciate the blessings. That he has given us. That he does for us. And sometimes we need a little reminder. To get our focus off of some of the areas of confusion. And you know we face these uncertainties in life. And, and we have things that go on in our life. Sometimes life can be chaotic. And what we do in those moments is we often take our minds off of the blessings that God has blessed us with the spiritual blessings that we have. Because life gets real sometimes, right? And when it does, we can lose focus on the blessings that we have in Christ. It, It is easy for us to do that. Our enemy, our adversary, Satan, is the master of distraction. His goal is to distract us from seeing those blessings. But God wants to remind us to reel us back in to the realization that we have a lot to be appreciative for. We have a lot to be grateful for when it comes to the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Now, our salvation was accomplished by the triune God, by the the Trinity. Each person in the Godhead has a act in our salvation it is God who calls us by his effectual grace it is the Holy Spirit who regenerates our heart the Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity regenerates or makes our heart new and we'll see that when we get to chapter 2 God calls us, God the Father calls us He planned our salvation for his own glory. We see this in uh, verses 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He, He predestined us as adoptions of sons through Jesus Christ. So that's Christ's role in our salvation. It is done through Christ by the means of the Holy Spirit. So this is how it works. God calls us through Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. That is how the Trinity works in our salvation. It is God who calls us through Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one, the person who regenerates our hearts, who takes us from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. God chose us. He predestined us to adoption to the praise of his glory. In verses 6 through 12, we see this big theme that God executed our salvation through God the Son for his own glory. I just mentioned that. In verse 7, says, In accordance to the riches of his grace. So we, and through God the Father, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God blessed us with insight into the mystery of his will. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the will of God is that Christ should have preeminence. And then we see the sovereignty of God also involved in our salvation. So we see the trinity at work in our salvation. So now we get down to these two verses. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, as believers, we should not have insecurity about the future, but a lot of us do. But insecurity about our future, what it does, it has an effect on our enjoyment of the present. It has an effect on our enjoyment of the present when we don't understand our security. Now, I'm going to work from two principles this morning. And they're up on the screen here. Number one, the Holy Spirit secures our future as a seal from God. But before that, I'm gonna give an example, a couple examples of insecurity and how it can affect our enjoyment of things in the present. The root of insecurity is worry. The root of anxiety, because anxiety is rooted in insecurity. We're insecure about a situation. We're insecure about an outcome to something. We're insecure about who we are and what God made us to be and who God made us to be. All of that at the root of it is the sin of excessive worry. And if you think about it, those of us who struggle with that, excessive worry can be crippling. You can become become paralyzed with worry paralyzed with anxiety, paralyzed (laughs) with insecurity. And what it does, it paralyzes you to the point where you don't want to do anything. You don't want to take any action. (laughs) You just want to sit and worry about your worrying. You ever been like that before? You've been so paralyzed with worry that it, it leads to inaction? Because at the root of that, insecurity is worry. And it can be the same about us being believers. We're so insecure about the future. We look at our sins and we say, "Man, I don't know if God really loves me or cares about me or hears me. I don't know what I'm going to truly to say. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end. Lord, I just don't know if I'm going to make it." That is insecurity, and that's what a lot of believers struggle with—is that insecurity, and what it leads to, again it robs us of what we have in Christ. It robs us of the joy of the spiritual blessings that we have. It affects our enjoyment of the present reality. Because many times we can be ruled by how we feel and not how things actually are. And I, I guarantee you, our insecurity is rooted in our feelings. But you notice you know you know something about feelings? Now, our feelings, our emotions are given to us by God. God gives us emotions. God has emotions. God gives us emotions. But those emotions must be rightly stewarded for God's glory. God gives us our emotions. We are emotional beings. But those emotions ought to not be disordered. When they're disordered, it leads to insecurity. Sometimes we think God has left us. that God has forgotten about us. Because we what? Feel that way. So that's how those two things are tied. So looking at our first principle here. Again, the Holy Spirit secures the saints' future as a seal from God. So, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He is the guarantee that all who are in Christ will receive their inheritance. He is the guarantee of that. That all who are in Christ will receive their inheritance. He is the one who does that. So look at verse 13 again. He says in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Now, who is Paul addressing it? He's addressing the saints. He's addressing the saints. So he says when you, he's talking to, going back to the first verse. The saints who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. So when you saint, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what did you do? You believed Now, there are two prerequisites here to salvation. Paul points out salvation from the standpoint of man's responsibility. Salvation is two parts to it. You have God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereignty we find back in verses 11 and 12. He predestined you according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that's God's sovereignty. Now where does man's responsibility come? Also when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And what? Believed in him. So you heard the word and you believed. So this is the standpoint of man's responsibility and the response to the work of God in his heart. So up to this point, Paul emphasized that it had been totally God's initiative in working when it came to salvation. Now the sealing with the Holy Spirit is not something that happens as you know, something subsequent to believing. That comes after. It's not a second blessing or a second work of grace. Okay? So we must understand that the sealing with the Holy Spirit is associated with our hearing and our believing. We don't believe in a second blessing as the Pentecostals falsely teach. So Context is essential here as we look at this. The word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Now, the word of truth is what? God's word. What does God's word contain? The gospel of our salvation. It is the gospel that does what? Saves. It's the gospel that saves. We have to hear the gospel. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Now, how do we address the lack of security that we have? How do we address our insecurity when it comes to our salvation or any area of our life? We address it this same way. We seek to hear God's truth as it applies to the area and then we believe it. Think about the insecurities that you have in life. How do you address those insecurities? By the word of God. By the word of truth. You go to the scriptures. That's why we talk about it all the time. We read the word of God. If you've been reading through 1 Samuel with me, you notice the last few chapters, it chronicles how many times Saul tried to kill David. David was running from Saul uh, up up to one point had tried to kill David 17 times (coughs) Saul had it out for David for no reason and David actually had two opportunities to kill Saul one time Saul was in a cave and David came and took his robe and his servant said let's kill him right now David said no you're not to touch the Lord's anointed and then the second time that I just read I think this morning the same thing David had an opportunity to kill Saul because guess what after all Saul tried to kill him numerous times and David had the opportunity but guess what he told his servant no I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed now what does that mean David was fearing for his life but you know what David did? Some of the Psalms that David wrote that we read came from when David was hiding in caves. He was hiding from Saul. He went to the Word of God for comfort. He crafted and penned Scripture to comfort him while he was running for his life. He wrote psalms. He went to the word of God. He retreated to God in those times when he was worried about his life. I think about uh, the prophet Elijah. After uh, he defeated the the, the 400 prophets of of Baal on Mount Carmel in 2 Kings. (laughs) And Jezebel put out a death sentence uh, to him. And Elijah ran and, and hid from her under a tree. And he was discouraged. And God fed him with ravens, with food from ravens. But in those moments, he, God comforted him. We're comforted by the word when we have those insecurities the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. We are to seek to hear God's truth as it applies to those areas that we have insecurities about. And we trust the Savior who is able to deliver us. Because we live in a culture now, excuse me, where people treat that as an identity. They treat it as an identity, as a personal identity, Identity, something to nurse and and be proud of. Remember, Christian, our identity is where? It is in Christ. It is not in our anxieties or our worries or our insecurities. Our identity is who we are in Christ. That is what matters more. You know why? Because no one can take that away from us. No situation in this world can take that away from us. So, when we are confronted with these insecurities, we look to the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And we don't only look to it, but we hear it. That means we receive it. And we do what it says to us. So, he says here, continuing in verse 13, And you believe in him. Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, or some translations say the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, what's the meaning of the seal? To seal means to mark as one's own possession or ownership. So the meaning of the seal to God and to others is, is like it's, it's to be branded. It shows that we belong to God forever. The issue of ownership has been settled. You know what? When God saves us, the ownership changes. We go from being owned by Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil, to being owned by who? God. Because what does God do? He puts his seal on us. He says, this is my son. This is my daughter. Just like a cattleman who... Has cattle they brand their cows with the symbol of their ranch. that's why you see some ranches have certain symbols and they and they brand their livestock with those with those brands showing that uh, so that that, that cow stray, uh, strays or, or gets lost or whatever they can see that brand on that cow and know that that cow belongs to so-and so's farm. That's a seal. When God seals us, guess what? He's taken us as his possession. We belong to him. We are no longer ourselves. The Bible even tells us we are no longer our own, but we are bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. And when he buys us, guess what? He purchases us. We become his possession. We are owned by God. We have changed ownerships. Now in these days, in Paul's day in antiquity, had uh, a different number of ways of accomplishing uh, uh, you know, a sealing. The seal was usually made from hot wax. And the, the king or the ruler had a signet ring which was like the seal of the it's almost like a notary stamp you know, that you have now. Back then the notary stamp was like a signet ring and they would impress it on the wax and that would be the, be the seal. That's the way they did it back then. It was placed on a document or the letter or whatever, and then impressed with the, with the ring. And it served as an official mark of identification. Just like when you sign for a mortgage or certain documents, you have to have a notary seal. That makes it official, right? You have to sign and sit there and sign in front of the notary. So this seal was the same way. One, it marked as one's possession or ownership. And then number two, the seal was a way of confirming or making something authentic, making it more real. Now you think about our own conscience. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 and 16 that the Holy Spirit bears, I'm sorry, witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit confirms to us, to our spirit, that we belong to God okay the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit confirms with our spirit that we are the children of God this is uh, Romans 8 I'm going to turn to that right quick Romans 8 and 16 so we won't have any puzzling looks again we're talking about the seal the guarantee Romans 8 here. Verse 16. This is the ESV. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, himself bears witness or testifies with whose spirit? Our Our spirit, spirit. that we are children of God. and if children heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him so the Holy Spirit bears witness testifies the witness of the spirit gives the Christians spirit assurance that he or she is God's child that is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit he bears witness with our spirit He assures us. So guess what? We won't have to be insecure about our salvation. We won't have to be insecure about whether we're children of God. Now why? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to God. Amen. Amen. The testimony of our own conscience that we belong to God. And because we belong to God, we enjoy all these spiritual blessings that we read about in the first few verses of Ephesians. And we are people whom nothing can harm. And we are people for whom all things work together for the good. You see that in Romans eight twenty eight. Friends, no one can take away that security that we have in God. Not even death. Paul says not even death or life can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that in Romans uh, 8 also. I think Romans eight thirty eight. Nothing can take away the security that we have in God. We are what? Sealed. sealed. It's like that envelope that you seal. You can take a letter opener and open it. You can't do that with the seal of promise that we have. No one can break that seal that God has sealed us with. Guess what? When God puts his stamp on us, that's it. We are his. And we are secured, and we are kept. We are kept. We are made secure. Now, this security that we have to make secure to make something secure means to protect it against tampering or against harm. You know, just like they. Uh, sealed up Jesus' grave when Jesus was buried they sealed the tomb They, they put the rock over the tomb that was a way of keeping it secure and when Daniel was in the lion's den in the book of Daniel they put they secured that den they put a rock over it so as to keep him from escaping that he could be eaten by those lions and of course we know the story that uh, the Lord saved him out of that so if we think about that that's what the Holy Spirit does He, he keeps us, he protects us from tampering he keeps us from harm our enemy comes up against us he shoots his arrows at us but guess what, God still keeps us he may even have small victories but he never ultimately wins the war why? because we're secured and this security is found in a lot of different scriptures. Here, I want to look at a few here. If you look at Psalm 121, this is the one where uh, David starts off by saying, "I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. He will not suffer my foot to be moved." Get Psalm 121 here. We're talking about security, how how God has sealed us, how God has kept us. Psalm 121. This is a psalm of David. No, I'm sorry, psalm of ascents going into the temple. Look at verse 3 and 4. And listen to the wording. He will not let your foot be moved, That's keeping. Keeping you what? Secure. That means keep it from slipping. I know the King James says he will not suffer your foot to be moved. That means allow. He who does what? Keeps you. Keeping is what? Keeping you secure. He never what? Slumbers or sleeps. That's how secure God keeps us. Behold he who does what? Keeps Israel. Neither slumber nor sleep. So, what do you see in that, in those two verses? Keep. 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 Not a life for the move. God keeps us secured. And then look at verse 7 in that same song. The Lord will keep you. This is the ESV. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And then verse 8 the Lord will keep you going out and you coming in. Look at that, people. God secures us. We are secured. Once you become a saint of God, you will always be a saint of God. You will be secured. So that's one. Looking at John, the 10th chapter, this is Jesus speaking of himself as the door of the sheep. Look at John 10. Again, we're talking about this principle here. The Holy Spirit secures our future as a seal from God. And we can be rest, we can rest assured that God is keeping us. John 10 and verse 28. Christ saves us and Christ keeps us. Remember that. That's why salvation is not up to us. If salvation was up to us, we could keep ourselves saved, but guess what? We can't. That's why we shouldn't say phrases phrase like, oh, I just want to be saved. I'm just trying to stay saved. You don't try and just live the life that God has put in you by his spirit. You don't, you, don't, you don't try to be saved. You are saved. Okay? In John 10, 28, this is what Jesus says here. I, who, who gives us eternal life? He does. Jesus. He gives us eternal life. And them, he's speaking of his sheep, those who are his. Okay? And who will never perish? His sheep. Go back to verse, let me just look at the context here. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So he's speaking of his sheep, those who are his, those who belong to him through salvation. He says what? I give them eternal life and they would never perish never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand why? because he keeps us and what does he say in the next verse my father who has given them to me is greater, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands I and the father are one when God saves us he keeps us, he seals us we're not going anywhere a person who apostatizes, who departs from the faith, they never were saved. 1 John says that. They were not from among us because they were not of us. Mm-hmm. they had been of us, they would remain of us. Amen. But because they were not from us, they proved that they were never of us. As, 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 as R.C. Sproul uh, famously said, and I quote this a lot, if, if you lose it, you never had it. And if you have it, you'll never lose it. Why? Because we're secured. God put that signet ring on us, He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We are kept secure. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation because it's not ours to keep. It is God who keeps us saved. Now, we work out our salvation. As Paul says in another letter work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is him, God, who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. But we work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. It is God who saves us and he seals us. And we work out what God has worked in us. We, our hearts are regenerated. We have a a, a new nature. Any man who is in Christ is a new creation. That's, 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. The old has passed away. The new has come. He gives us a new nature. He gives us new desires. He gives us a new will. He gives us a new purpose in his life. And that is to live for his glory. But that comes after he seals us. When he saves us. When God saves us, that seal is automatically on us. We may stumble out of the gate. You know, when I was a young Christian... I, I was stumbling all over the place. I was, a, I was in cage stage. I was just, I was just let loose. <laughs> Didn't have a lot of good discipleship. When I went to college after God saved me. But guess what? By his grace, man, God kept me. It wasn't me keeping myself. He keeps us. He seals us. Another scripture. First Corinthians 1 and 8. And the Apostle Paul says this: First Corinthians one and eight. This is this is a good, good, passage here. Man, I love this. Okay, start back at verse four. Context always. First Corinthians one and four. Of course, he's writing to the saints, the church. Those who are the sanctified of Christ Jesus. called to be saints together with all those. In every place we call in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's right to the saints. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always. Now look at verse 8. Who? Who is the who? God. He will do what? Sustain us to the what? He seals us. He sustains us. And not only will he sustain us in the end, he will sustain us guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, look at this, people. Look at verse 9. What are those first three words? God is faithful. God is faithful to keep us. Man, I love that. God is faithful. God will keep us. God will sustain us to the end. Why? Because we're sealed. He sealed us. Seals are important. He seals us. And guess what? He's faithful. Paul was telling that to me. And guess what? God's going to do it because God is faithful. God is going to bring you to the end. Saint. Why? Because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, with the promised Holy Spirit. You're sealed. You have nothing to fear because you're sealed. If you're saved, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 2 this morning, that word is already at work in your heart. And guess what? He's going to continue to sanctify you, continue to clean you up, progressively sanctifying you, progressively making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's going to take you on home to glory. You may take three steps forward and two steps back sometimes, but you're still moving forward. Why? Because you're sealed. You have the signet ring of God, the Holy Spirit on your life, Christian. One last scripture here. 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 4 and 5. When I preached through 1 Peter, I mean, I spent some time on this passage. Peter said, we are kept by the power of of God, so First Peter one, verses four through five. The word "kept" means "be kept," <laughs> "be kept secure." Okay. I'm sorry, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Who caused us to be born again? God. God to a living hope, we song about that this morning. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept how in heaven. For you. Who are kept by the power of of God through faith, voice, salvation ready to be revealed in the last time we're kept by the power of God God not only saves us to an inheritance that is imperishable he not only calls us to be born again to a living hope but he also keeps us God doesn't just save us and just leave us to our own devices <laughs> I mean seriously because we wouldn't make it one day God doesn't just save us people guess what he keeps us because we can't be kept. We can't keep ourselves. God saves us as we read here in the passage in Ephesians. We obtain inheritance in verse 11. Of him who works all things, go to the counsel of his will. God not only saves us, but he keeps us. And this is not just the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit of promise. Now the Holy Spirit was the person who was promised to the saints. In the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was promised to be poured out. We see that in the like Joel uh, 3, 1 through 5. Isaiah 32, 15, 44 and 3. Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 39. You see that God was going to, uh, He promised the Holy Spirit that He's going to put a, a, a new Spirit in our hearts. So, this Spirit that Paul's speaking of was, was the Holy Spirit that was promised in the Old Testament. That those of this day, of His day, knew that He was coming. And the New Testament promises emphasize the new heart. I'm sorry, emphasize the the holiness. We see the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had fallen. So this spirit of promise, guess what God came through with? He promised it in the Old Testament and it was fulfilled in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. God told his disciples in John 14 that the Spirit was going to come the Comforter, as he called it. He's going to teach them all things pertaining to him, things that he has spoken to them. So he talked about the role of the third person of the Holy Spirit. So we had the Old Testament prophecies in those passages again. Joel 3, Isaiah 32 and 44, Ezekiel 36 and 39, and Zechariah 12th chapter talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see it fulfilled in the New Testament and the fulfillment was on the day of Pentecost. So, the Spirit seals those of us who are God's and He makes us holy. The purpose of it is for us to be holy, to be like Him. Now, this leads to our second principle. The Holy Spirit secures the saints' future as a down payment from God. Many of us who have bought things, especially like cars, for the most part, or a house, you have to have what people call earnest money. When you buy a house, you have to have earnest money. Earnest money is basically... You have to have the money in your saved in a savings account. <coughs> so if you make a bid on a house, put out a contract on the house, you have to have what they call earnest money in the bank. You have to have that down payment already ready. You have to pay that earnest money to basically put a contract on the house to be sold. Earnest money is like a down payment. Most times when you go get a car, you know if you can get one zero down. That's fine, but most people go. And they put down what? A down payment. You'll see down payment specials on car advertisements. You'll see them when you pass by Pokey Primer. You'll see what, $500 down or $1,000 down. You see all those down payments. So down payment is like a partial payment in advance. It's like a a first installment. I remember when I got me and my wife's uh, first uh, rings from Zales Jewelers down in in Montgomery, in, uh, it was an Eastdale Mall, way back in uh, 1998 when I bought our engagement rings. I remember uh, I had to put down a down payment in order, in order to finance it. So the down payment was showing that, that, that payment in advance. So what that shows us in this passage is that the Holy Spirit, our present possession of it is a sample and it's a guarantee. It is a partial payment for our future inheritance. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He says it in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of what? Our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is a down payment for our inheritance. A guarantee, a, a surety. The Holy Spirit it's the guarantee or provide a down payment. Our share in the internal kingdom. That's what he does. Because the Holy Spirit applies to all God's powerful working in redemption. That's what he does. So he is that down payment of our inheritance. so he secures that down payment for us and we thank the Lord for that that the Holy Spirit does that he secures our future inheritance he puts that seal on us and then he says until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory now what does this mean? This means basically that He is the down payment for us until the real thing is the already but not yet doctrine. Like we have eternal life. When we're saved we have eternal life but not yet. We're going to have eternal life when we die and go to be with the Lord. But we do have eternal life right now. He who believes in the Lord shall have what? Eternal life. We have eternal life. We have the the reality of it in us, but we won't realize in full until we die and go and be with the Lord. So that's the already but not yet. Okay? So the Holy Spirit has sealed us until that not yet is put into reality, is put into realization, until we acquire Possession of it. Until we acquire possession of it. So once we do. We will see it. We will see Christ as he is. We will be totally his for all of eternity. Totally his. No undivided allegiance at all. We will be totally God's. During that time. And this is the great purpose of of God's redemption of man. This is the great purpose. To be his own possession. To belong to him, to be his special people. Those who are not believers, that is God's desire for them that they may be saved and become his possession. That's why we pray for our unbelieving family members and friends and coworkers. Because man, they're missing out (laughs) on such great blessings. They think that they're living their best life now. No, they're not. They're living their worst life now. Why? Because they don't belong to God. They're not in Him. They're missing out. They're believing the lie. So as we conclude and go into our applications here, let us appreciate our spiritual blessings, our secure future, the fact that our future is secure friendship, Help us to enjoy the present. Enjoy what we have in him. The fact that we know that we're secure and that we're kept, man, that should lead us to enjoy this Christian life even more. And I mean that life's not going to be hard because it is. Because we're sinners and we're living in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, as the Bible says. But that internal joy that we have because we are secure because we're kept by God and us knowing that God is going to keep us until the end. Guess what? That is what drives us. To keep going. To keep pushing. To keep what? Pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high call in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Complications Amen? Amen. here. Faith comes from hearing to hearing by the word of God. Those who come to faith must come by hearing hearing by the word of God the gospel of their salvation they heard the word of truth and they believed in him this is a rhetorical question who is powerful enough to break that seal and to bring into question our eternal security no one Paul asks this question in Romans 8. Who can lay a charge on God's elect? None. No one. No one, friends, is powerful enough to break that seal that we have from God and to bring into question our eternal security. No one can do that. No one is but there's no force on this earth that is powerful enough to do that. None, not one. Number three, how good is God to keep his promises? He's 100%. The Holy Spirit of promise, guess what? It came on the day of Pentecost. That promised spirit that was prophesied in the Old Testament, guess what? It came on that day and it remains until this day. And he keeps us until that day when he comes back. Why does God want to fully redeem us and possess us as his own possession? Because he loves us so dearly because he has sealed us God has poured out his love on us and we thank him for it friends he loved the unlovable he redeemed the uh, unredeemable as the scripture says Christ died for our sins the just for the unjust we were the unjust ones Christ was the just one yet he died for our sins amen Thank the Lord. Let us pray as we close. Father, thank you for the fact that you sealed us, that you secured our future as believers. Will help us to rest in the assurance that we are yours. As your word says, the the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are your children. Will help us as believers. Keep us us in that realm of, of, of just knowing that we are Secure that we are kept by you, and that you will not lose us, that you will not let go of our hand. And Lord, I pray for those who are not saved who hear this, those unbelievers. Lord, they are, that miss not on such great blessings, they miss not on such great privileges. Lord, I pray, Father, that you convict them of their sins, bring them to a saving faith in you. Lord, thank you for securing us. Thank you for your word, the gospel of our salvation. May we hear it and may we believe it. And may you encourage the saints by it. In Christ's name I pray, Amen. amen.